everybody, Janine here. Welcome to my podcast, Keeping It Real with Janine, your guide to living an authentic, healthy life. If this is your first time listening, I want to thank you so much for stopping in. Today, I would like to give sincere thank yous to those who took the time to leave podcast reviews and ratings. It will help make it so much easier for others to find the podcast. Sometimes I even have a hard time finding it. So here we go. Ms. Zigzag wrote, so much great stuff in these podcasts. Not only is Janine fun, she's always fun to listen to and keeps the podcast engaging. Love this. Thank you, Miss Zigzag. Paranoid Patriot wrote, thank you for this. I love the podcast. So many people hack away at the branches of bad health issues. Janine gets right down to the root. Thank you, Paranoid Patriot. I love that. Treefolk wrote, five stars. Amazing resource, an amazing woman having important conversations regarding health and well-being. Uh, Julie G. wrote, five stars on the Urban Garden episode. Good info on gardening in a small space. Felt like a lovely tour in a beautiful space. Nice with seven inches of snow on the ground. Thank you, Julie G. Okay, so today is episode nine, and I have the privilege of chatting with Melissa Joy Johnson, creator of the MJoy Seminars. Let's get into the show, have some fun, and learn something new. Melissa Joy Johnson is the inspirational leader and founder of MJoy Seminars, dedicated to heart-centered awareness and practical personal empowerment. Melissa has been teaching life transformational matrix energetic seminars around the globe since 2008. In 2014, she launched her MJoy Seminar Teachings. She has authored several best-selling books. Her forthcoming book is The Integrity Effect. Hi, Melissa. Hi there. Thank you for having me on the show. (laughs) Oh, I'm so grateful that you're here. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Before we delve into your empowering work on the true authentic self, I'd love to hear about your life journey and how it's led you to the work that you're doing today. Take it away. Well, that's a, um, it's a very open-ended question. And, (laughs) um, and I would say to all of our listeners that really every experience that we've ever had uh, in our life journey has perhaps led us to the, you know, our current space and our current state and our, our current uh, experiences. Uh, My background for those who are not familiar with my work is that I have indeed been teaching uh, life transformational seminars around the globe since 2008 prior to uh, being a uh, transformational leader and and a public speaker and also an author. I spent almost 15 years in the pharmaceutical industry uh, primarily focused on bringing blockbuster neuroscience drugs uh, to the market. And uh, I originally got into that profession uh, almost immediately out of college. At the, at the time, it was the only profession that was paying women dollar for dollar what it was paying men. So I thought hmm. that I into uh, what was dubbed an equal opportunity employer. And I also really, really wanted to help people. And I thought that uh, providing pharmaceuticals and prescription medications for people with conditions and diseases um, was a way to to help people. And, you know, depending upon your level of consciousness, you could say that it is. Um, What I learned Mm -hmm. over the the course of my career was that really prescriptions are, are are band-aids or bandages for 
what is, you know, bondaging the soul, our, our conditions, our diseases, um, the gaps in our consciousness that can play out as a placeholder like a disease. And what I found over time was that I really wasn't fully in integrity with that path and that there was um, something um, emerging from my heart and something that wanted to manifest that looked completely different from the experience in the pharmaceutical industry. And that if I trusted that knowing without knowing how I knew that kind of intuitive message that was coming up from my heart, that something very different would unfold. And that led to, um, my resistance in leaving the pharmaceutical industry, I was actually afraid I had cultivated a, a great career. And, um, by all intents and purposes, um, should have been happy. And I absolutely mm. wasn't. And um, my body started to break down. I actually started to get sick because I was out of alignment and out of integrity with what I was doing. And that led me on, on an exploration into um, other forms of healing, uh, whether you call it Eastern medicine, integrative medicine, complementary medicine, holistic medicine. Um, I, was, I was on a journey uh, in an exploration to, to really find my true authentic self, um, through the process of healing. And, um, and in that process, uh, discovered consciousness expanding, uh, technologies that really enabled me to come into a cohesive relationship with myself, uh, heal my conditions, heal my diseases and, um, and live from a space of heart centered awareness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, this is a, I think, a great point for our listeners. You know, if you're, if you're in a work career situation that you're really not happy with and you're finding that your, your physical, emotional self is reflecting that through not feeling well, um, chronic conditions, illness, whatever, it's really something to take a look at. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm fond of saying that the, you know, the physical body is often the last one to get the memo. And <laughs> it's the first memo that we truly will pay attention to. Um, you know, we will, we will dismiss or kind of poo poo away our emotional fears and our, and our mental thoughts and the, the signs, the cues, the placeholders that are there to garner our attention. And if we ignore them, then those placeholders will manifest as a condition or a disease. And, um, it's really something to pay attention to or to play attention with because it's actually a tremendous opportunity. It's mm -hmm. an opportunity to step into integrity and to live according to the callings of your heart. Um, and it's, it's normal to have fears to feel uncertain about what that um, unknown opportunity may be. But if we trust and if we listen and if we allow, we will receive all the information that we need in order to create extraordinary lives that are aligned with the true callings of our heart. <laughs> I'm laughing because you just answered the question that I was going to ask you. <laughs> well, something that comes from living from the field of the heart is is the ability to intuit and and clairvoyantly track and follow information. So, uh, I I apologize in advance for answering <laughs> the next question. <laughs> You're so cute. Um, so what for someone who really knows that they need to do something different. They do have a, a passion or, or an interest in something else than what they're doing to, to make their living. Uh, but they're afraid to make a change. They don't, they don't really see other choices. Um, they don't see how they can ha manifest that in their life. What would you say to them? 
Well, first I would say truly be honest with yourself and acknowledge this desire that's welling up. It's something that I refer to as a true authentic desire. It wells Mm -hmm. up from the field of the heart. There's a sense of knowing without knowing how you know that it's something worthy of following, even if you don't know where that path may take you. It's very normal to have fears. It's very normal to actually justify um, not making a change. Um, a lot of times we'll, we'll override the callings of the heart and we'll, we'll use what we think is logic, which is actually fear cloaked in logic. And we'll mm-hmm. tell ourselves, Oh, I can't possibly quit my job. I have bills to pay. I have responsibilities. I'm too old to make a change or <laughs> I've invested this many years in this particular vocation. It would be nonsensical to make a different choice. And um, rather than looking at the situation and circumstances through the limitations of logic, which is often really fear just trying to lead the way, um, acknowledge all the feelings that, that are emerging, acknowledge what your heart is telling you, and give yourself permission to rest in the space of being comfortable not really knowing what may happen next. Because the truth is, we don't really know what's going to happen next, either. even when we're following a predictable path. Right. Uh, we really don't know. We just think we know, and then we follow the, these expectation biases, and then things play out as more of the same. And so what I would say is that every desire that wells up from the field of the heart is it's a seed of love's completion. Simply because that experience hasn't fully manifested in your life as a reflected circumstance doesn't mean that it isn't already possible and already probable. Um, Making different choices so that you can align to that possibility and that probability is really what heart-centered awareness is all about. And so being okay with not knowing what may happen next while including all of the resonant emotions and thoughts, limitations and justifications that we make about not making a different choice gives you the freedom and the space of grace where you can possibly make a different choice in the very next moment. But you don't get there by, by denying how you're feeling. Um, that, will, that will serve to actually shackle you in a situation and a circumstance that um, will give you more of the same. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. I hope everyone can rewind that last paragraph and listen to it again, because I think it's really, really important what you just said. Um, a couple of times you have talked about the field of the heart. Could you explain to our listeners what the field of the heart is? Yes, and there's there's a lot of different ways that the field of the heart can be defined, and there's even a lot of references around the field of the heart and heart-centered awareness. And, and what I am referring to when I talk about the field of the heart is not so much the physical heart, not even what some would call the heart chakra, and not even what some refer to as the electromagnetic field of the heart, which um, has been studied extensively uh, by researchers at HeartMath Institute. Mm -hmm. What I'm actually referring to is the counter-rotating torsion fields of the heart, which go beyond the electromagnetic spectrum. They're where um, local linear effects mean meet non-local non-linear effects. So what I am talking about is 
the only part of ourselves that truly knows itself as being whole, limitless, and complete. It's the part of ourselves that is somewhat transpersonal, but it is, it's a nexus point that meets our personal identifiers and our qualifiers. It's the part of ourselves that, that transcends our so-called perceived limitations, our programming, our perceptual biases, the filters that we use in order to navigate um, through everyday life. And why it is so useful to connect to heart-centered awareness and the field of the heart is that heart-centered awareness is it's a consciousness of completion. Um, heart-centered mm. awareness as this space of grace and unconditional love uh, doesn't polarize. It doesn't dualize. It doesn't fragment itself in awareness such that life will fragment accordingly. When I talk about it being a consciousness of completion, what it enables us to do is to create and relate to absolutely everything in our lives from a space of completion. And so as a result, when we embody heart-centered awareness and we approach our situations and our circumstances first from the field of the heart and we allow the mind to follow, we're actually going to project and reflect based on connecting from a space of completion. And this changes up everything because rather than looking to our situations and our circumstances to define us and to fulfill us, we are actually approaching our situations and our circumstances from a space of inner fulfillment, of inner self-love, of integrity as authenticity, of joy spinning in its own elation. And subsequently, <laughs> all of our situations and our circumstances will reflect accordingly. It's There's a physics of hologramming that occurs when we create from the field of the heart. And it really is a gateway and a portal into extraordinary living. Mm-hmm. Wow. So how does how does an out projection or or a doing uh, from the state of heart centered awareness? What, what does that look like? How does that work? Can you rephrase your question? <laughs> sure. I understand where you're coming from and what you're trying to ask, but I'm not so sure it's going to make sense to the listeners. Ah, okay. So, Put it in your words. Okay. So um, a person has a, a concept or an understanding of what you're talking about, um, out projecting that or action or doing uh, that comes from that, from that state of heart-centered awareness. What does that... Or how does that look different from, say, uh, logic coming from okay. logic? Well, well, so so here's heart centered awareness is really it's a state of being, and then anything that we do from that state of being um, is a, a is a reflection of a consciousness of completion. The, the difference between doing as a separate individual entity is is that we are approaching our reality really from a from a construct of force where we are going up against whatever it is that we think needs to happen and we rely on our our own uh individuality if you will to to be the volition of that creation what i am referring to in terms of being first and then doing, or in a melanized way, heart-mind synthesis, is that when we are approaching our reality from the field of the heart, we have access to 
all of the so-called wave-based interference patterns that make up all of the implicate potential of reality. Um, reality isn't, isn't the way that we um, have conditioned our consciousness to being where, where we look at everything and we think it's separate. It's actually a series of wave-based interference patterns. And then when our mind focuses on a particular uh, point of interference of those wave-based mm -hmm. um, patterns, we, we then identify and we say, this is a chair or this is a door. Um, if we are approaching reality just from the mind, we're going to be approaching from a framework of uh, separation, a framework of categorization, a framework of compartmentalization. And we're going to miss access to a multitude of possibilities that exist outside of whatever it is that we are focusing on. If we allow ourselves to first be from the field of the heart, we have access to all possibilities simultaneously. And then we can augment heart-centered awareness with the mind through the power of choice and choose a focal point of awareness for where we want to resonate. So the difference between being and doing versus doing is that we have way more possibilities available simultaneously. We have access to this limitless ocean of consciousness potential. If we're just doing, then we pretty much can only uh, doorknob in on like a buoy or one particular wave rather than the entire ocean. So it sounds like what you're saying is is if you're not being and doing, if you're just doing, it really uh, narrows our focus or our our possibilities. It narrows our options. Our options, right? And there's nothing wrong with with doing. I mean, we learn a lot. We make many many distinctions uh, by doing and doing and doing. One of the limitations, though, of just doing without being first and then doing is that it becomes this. Uh, moving target or this perpetual placeholder that will constantly um, elude us because as long as we are doing in order to feel fulfilled, then we will constantly rely on that external reference to fill us up. And and what's going to end up happening is our tank is going to leak. Mm. Uh, we're never going to feel fulfilled. And so whereas if we are being first and then doing, the doing becomes an extension of that beingness that is already complete. And anything that um, is outlooped or projected from a space of completion is just going to augment that which is already complete and you get exponentially much more. <laughs> Awesome. awesome. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. I, I'm really simplifying the, the physics of hologramming. And, and you know, if, if there are listeners that want the, the science behind what I'm pointing to, you know, I've written of it extensively in a little book of big potentials, although understanding the science is not necessary in order to embody the science and the physics of heart-centered awareness and in order to holo, hologram and holoframe your life from a space of completion. Mm -hmm. Well, I, in the, on the website, I'll also have links to your website so people can uh, get your book because there, I'm sure there are plenty of people like me who enjoy and, uh, it's almost, it's like, I need, I need that foundation of understanding to move forward. Some people don't, but, uh, for me, that's important. And I think it is for a lot of people. They like to understand the, well, the underpinnings. I, I agree. And what's nice about having, uh, a scientific map to explain um, what's 
basically tangible, but not visible. Um, it's mm-hmm. like love, you know, we, we, we can't really touch love, but we have an access point for love through the word love. And we all have references and experiences of what love is. Um, the, the language of the science gives us a way to access what is innately true within ourselves, but perhaps we didn't have uh, coordinates to describe that territory. And that's the value of the science. Um, it gives us ways of, of navigating from point A to point B. Mm-hmm. And I just, I love the way you just put love, uh, the way you said that the word love is an access point. Uh, I hadn't thought of it that way for things that are abstract that you can't really touch, uh, that aren't concrete, that the word itself is an access point. Absolutely. And this is sort of the um, foundational underpinnings of many of the Amjoy teachings is that I leverage language as carrier waves for light and information as language as carrier waves for light slow down as sound um, as access points to support a movement and a transformation in consciousness. And the more access points that we have, the more um, freedom that we experience in relation to our own ability to play and to create and to experience um, our own innate joy. And so access points are kind of uh, key to, to transforming into what we already are but we don't realize it because we've been clouded by the confusion of the programming that we've gone through uh, as we've grown up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And my understanding from reading your book is that that programming is also, uh, oh, how do I want to say it? It it almost kind of puts a blanket on or it, it confuses our true, uh, what would be our true authentic self. Yeah, I I use the term confusion a lot because um, it's not so much that we've lost access to uh, the innate knowingness. It's not so much that we've lost access to our true authentic power and our true authentic self and the truth of um, our essence. It's that we're so confused by the mixed signaling that's taking place in our fields that we don't recognize ourselves. We think we are the programs. We think we are... Um, our experiences. We think we are our stories. And Mm -hmm. the programs and the experiences and the stories are just aspects of an authentic experience. They don't necessarily define us and they certainly don't need to limit us. The construct of the true authentic self, which is something that's unique to the Amjoy teachings, is um, it's a combination and an integration and a synthesis of our true self, which is limitless potential and limitless, unconditional love combined with our authentic self, which is that part of ourselves that dubs itself as only human, that which is perfectly imperfect. Uh, the part of ourselves that has these, the confusion and the so-called limitations. And when we, when we combine and we integrate our true self with our authentic self and embody the true authentic self, then our limitations no longer hold us back. They can actually serve as string springboards into creating new trajectories and new references, new access points and new experiences for our own true authentic magnificence. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to really come into self-acceptance, authenticity, and the physics of integrity, which is absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how do you recognize, how does one recognize what is coming from their true authentic self 
um, as opposed to their imposter or their programming? Well, the true authentic self actually includes the programmings. This is mm. the beautiful thing. What what comes forth through playing with the construct of the true authentic self, which is unpacked extensively in the live experiential seminars of Amjoy, is that um, everything is a function of resonance. And so if we're resonating with a particular program situation or circumstance, we accept responsibility for that resonance. It doesn't mean that that's who we are. It means that we are choosing to resonate, whether we're conscious or unconscious, with a particular program or a particular morphic field, so to speak, that is then creating and perpetuating certain experiences. What I will say to everyone is that no program uh, is who we are. No program that's running uh, in your hologram is the truth of your essential self as unconditional love. Unconditional love means no conditions. And so any program that's playing out is, it's not so much that it's an imposter. Uh, it is, it's like you're, if you are a hard drive and you are running a particular software program through your system, then, then that information is going to play out in your life accordingly. It's, it's not who you are, but it's the program that you're running that often can run you. Mm -hmm. And being able to approach the programs and the conditions and the conditioning around the programs and the conditions can be very liberating if you approach it from a space of curiosity. One of the things we tend to do is we go into uh, judgment and judgment is the bane of our existence because it will actually keep the program running over and over and over again. I'm, I'm reminded I was working with a client yesterday afternoon and she's a brilliant woman and, and we were talking about some patterns that she's been working with for many, many years. And over and over again, she kept saying, gosh, I really should be done with this. I really <laughs> should be done. Like, I don't understand. I should be done. And I'm like, there's a whole field in the MJOY teachings called Dawn is distinctions. And, and when we move beyond the, the shooting on ourselves and the quitting and the, and all of the expectations around where we think we should be because we ought to know better. Well, then we give ourselves permission to breathe into that space of grace where we can actually be liberated. The judgment um, around where we think we should be, the judgment that we have about the programs that are running us actually keep those programs running on perpetual play. Mm. And so approaching, approaching your life, if you want to know what programs are playing out in mm -hmm. what I refer to as our love hologram, take a look at the situations and the circumstances that continue to show up in your life over and over again. What are the patterns as placeholders that are there to reflect back to you some aspect of self-love or perhaps not loving self that you've not yet recognized? That is a really great place to start because if you curiously engage with those patterns as placeholders, those placeholders can transform into grace holders and they don't necessarily hold the same value and power in your life. And when they don't hold the same value and power in your life, when it doesn't have a hook, then the experience falls away and transforms into something different. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. How does, uh, in, in your book, you talk about, 
wasn't going to bring this up now, but you're talking about placeholders. Addictions, as you say, uh, let's see what I write down. Addictions as placeholders and awareness to find true authentic self and simultaneously avoid it. Yeah. So one of the uh, core teachings in Amjoy, and, and I'm expanding upon it much more in my forthcoming book, The Integrity Effect, but there's <laughs> plenty in Little Book of Big Potentials as well as Practical Play, the heart-centered way. I define all addictions as um, placeholders that are there to, in other words, we engage in all placeholders as an attempt as an attempt to find our true authentic self while simultaneously seeking to avoid it. So we'll engage in an addiction in a sense to look for ourselves while simultaneously trying to avoid ourselves. So it's kind of like you're trying to look in the mirror, but instead of allowing the reflection in the mirror to, to symmetrically reflect back to you, you look away and you're looking at your shadow. And so whether we're talking about, um, you know, drug addiction, alcohol addiction, shopping addiction, seminar addiction, Facebook addiction, um, exercise addiction, the, the, the key thread woven through all of those different placeholders is that we are seeking self-love and we look to those placeholders both to find that self-love as well as to distract ourselves from experiencing the self-love that's within us. Mm. Ultimately, there's no difference between any of the addictive placeholders. Um, the, the neurochemistry, the neurophysiological response that transpires in all addictive um, behaviors, the neurotransmitters that um, are emitted are identical. Um, certainly the um, consequences of certain addictive patterns can be more detrimental in our lives than other addictive placeholders. But the, the underlying core mechanism driving us to the behavior is always the same. Many of us are addicted to, we're addicted to shame, we're addicted to judgment, um, we're addicted to drama. Yes, I was going to say that. Really big one. In fact, mm -hmm. I just taught a webinar on this. It's huge. And, um, and a lot of times, we unconsciously will create the drama to get the neurochemical rush. And so, so we're, we're actually running a chemical addiction that is supported by virtue of the dramatic situations and circumstances. So we will, we will use the drama to justify the rush. And then sometimes we'll reach for secondary placeholders, secondary addictions like drugs and alcohol, and we'll create the drama in order to justify the need to drink or the need to reach for a, for a drug. And so it gets really, really messy and convoluted. And where the greatest opportunity rests for all of us in relation to all of our addictions is, is coming into a cohesive relationship with our true authentic self through the field of the heart, embracing self-love as authenticity, freeing ourselves from the shame and the judgment, and recognizing that love is really um, the only placeholder worth keeping. And self-love is the only placeholder worth keeping. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, um, I just got an email from a student in, in Australia who... He's getting ready to attend the Enjoy seminar uh, at the end of March in Melbourne. But he just watched some of my free videos that are on YouTube. I did these uh, one one take uh, mini clips on each of the fields that I talk about in Little Book of Big Potentials in the Enjoy seminars. And um, he wrote to thank me because he watched the video on field 122, which is a field that is freedom from addictions. And he said simply by watching that video and watching me activate that particular uh, specialized field, 
in the video, uh, he was able to stop drinking after drinking consistently for 30 years. Oh my Um, goodness. Yeah. It was really quite a powerful testimonial because these fields are access points. They hold information that enable us to change our resonance, enable us to change the programs that um, we are running that may be running us. And they really offer portals into freedom, portals into joy and portals into fulfillment of self-love and authenticity. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad to hear that you did so, that you did little mini videos on them because I, I experimented with quite a few of the, um, uh, the, what's the word I want? The, the activities that you specified in the book. And I found them very powerful. The practical plays. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I like practical play. You know, when we talk about activities or exercises, it it almost implies that we have to work on something. And when we when we really approach our lives from a from a beautiful space of playfulness, then that automatically puts us in our hearts. Um, I define play as potential love awaiting you, the acronym. And um, when we realize that, then then play is is also a portal into self-love. And play is a portal into infinite possibilities and being able to transcend the programs and limitations of our conditioning so that we can experience more of the truth of who we are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I, in fact, I wrote that down because I thought it was a great anachronym. Um, taking us out of the mind and into the heart is what I wrote down. Playing, and you called it playing ages, agelessly. Well, playing agelessly indeed is one of the, uh, one of the MJOY fields. There's actually three fields. They, they move in, in cycles of three and harmonics of eight. Mm. And there's a series of three fields that are, predominantly focused on play, although all the fields include the art and science of play. But yes, there's uh, there's 116, 117, and 118. And 117 is the field that gets us off of the uh, limitations of linear time and enables us to access that timeless, uh, the timeless eternal nature of heart-centered awareness. And that's playing agelessly, where we're able to um, move out of the programs that say, oh, by age 30, you're supposed to have uh, a spouse and two children and a white picket fence. <laughs> and by age 40, you're supposed to have uh, 80% of your pension filled. And even though you'll owe 70% of your mortgage, you're supposed to um, have acquired blah, blah, blah. It gets us off of that uh that, that limiting bandwagon and actually moves us into resonance with the power to choose how we want to create our lives, no matter where we find ourselves along the continuum of time, because time is simply um, distinctions and awareness. Mm, I like that. Time is distinctions in awareness. Do you, would you like to delve into that a little more? Or? <laughs> <laughs> like delve into it rather extensively in, in field... 117. Um, and this is where the physics of hologramming is so useful when you understand the science because um, time as we've come to know it, it's not linear. Um, it, mm-hmm. it isn't a series of successive moments. Uh, in essence, uh, and this is going to sound a little strange to some of the listeners who may not be familiar with some of the science, but um, everything is happening simultaneously through the eternal now. And time itself is holofractal, which means that every moment contains all of the information of every other moment. And where we, where our consciousness lands in a particular moment, um, it's, a, it's a series of intersecting 
wave-based possibilities. That's what we mark as the present moment, where our awareness lands. And so when I say that time is just a series of distinctions, um, it's really how we keep track of consciousness's um, eternal spiraling and eternal movement. Mm-hmm. And we have the ability to access all moments simultaneously. Um, physicist David Bohm, when he talks about um, the the universe as possibly being a hologram, he says that, that time is also holographic and that there's really no reason why we shouldn't be able to reach into the implicate order of the, the sea of interconnected information and pluck out events that occurred in the past um, as though they are unfolding right now. And it sounds very, very outrageous, but when you understand the, the physics of hologramming, when you understand how waves exchange information, and when you understand the possible true nature of reality, it makes total sense. And the time that we've been conditioned to resonating with is just a morphic field. It's not necessarily true, but it becomes true when we resonate with it. Everything becomes true when we resonate with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I what came into my mind was, wow, if we all, if everyone had grown up with this information, how things would be different. That's a... That's a beautiful comment, and it's um, it's essentially how I opened my next book. Um, you know, how would your life have been different if you had had some of this information? Uh, you know, at sixteen or seventeen, mm. and it's not so much the scientific information, although that's certainly a valid way of mapping consciousness. But it's it's realizing that the way that we've been programmed and the way that we are conditioned isn't the ultimate reality, and that when we know that there are other models and other maps to describe the possible nature of reality, then we're liberated to really choose where we want to resonate. And life takes on a completely different signature. Mm-hmm. Wow. I love this. It's so inspiring. Um, one of the things that I, I was thinking about with you have your, your true authentic desire and I was thinking about desire as we all have desires, we all have wants. Um, but how do we really tell what is a true authentic desire and what is a desire that just comes from our programming or our judgments? That's a great question. And to be as honest as I've been consistently through this interview, I can only answer from my own perspective. I can only answer from the distinctions that I've made, um, and the experiences that I've witnessed uh, in working with you know thousands of clients around the world. The <laughs> distinction that I make is that um, a true authentic desire is it's a desire we literally feel it welling up from our, our from our hearts. It, it almost feels like champagne bubbles that that wells up from within. <laughs> and within a true authentic desire, there is almost always a signature of what I refer to as knowing without knowing how we know. It's a form of intuitive awareness. There is a sense of familiarity that is cultivated from within a true authentic desire. And there's also a a, um, a feeling of joy that accompanies a true authentic desire. Conversely, when a desire may be an outloop of a program or um, a morphic field or like a 
um, collective consciousness uh, mimetic program, mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. usually is an aspect of um, like an ex- there's an external gratification that occurs. Uh, it, there usually is um, a sense of obligation. There is a sense of shouldness around the true authentic desire. And there is a pulling that occurs energetically where we almost feel pulled outside of ourselves to go meet that desire. And so one is like an, it's an as within and therefore so without. And the other is more of a as without so that we can feel fulfilled from within. And from a, from a geometric energetic um, grid standpoint, um, the, True authentic desires that well up from the field of the heart, they have a certain amount of symmetry to their spin. Their mm-hmm. geometries are um, proportional. They actually follow um, the phi ratio of one in relation to 1.618, which is Fibonacci sequence. Mm-hmm. Whereas if it's usually um, an outlooped program, there's usually kind of a, a deviation to the geometry. It doesn't have the same amount of symmetry. There's usually a bit of, a bit of a distortion in the geometry. Now, I don't expect our listeners to understand what I'm talking to, although some people do see the the geometries of consciousness. So the the core distinction I would make is that one really feels like it's welling up from within and, and that there's a familiarity to it. And the other feels like it's coming from without and you need to pull it within in order to fulfill yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So I, I had an idea, and tell me if I'm off here or, or if this wouldn't work. Um, oftentimes, what I've uh, suggested to people when they're they're not sure um, ab- about if something is is right for them um, to just lie down and think about something that that you know is good for you, that you know is healthy, is good, that makes you happy, and notice what you're feeling in your body. And then think about something that is upsetting, angering, something that is not useful, something that's maybe hurtful and see how that feels in your body. How you it generally contract, you know, generally the first is more expansive and the second is more of a contraction in the body. And I was wondering if with uh, discerning, helping to discern if something's a true authentic desire or not, a person could do that. They could lie down, just uh, relax their body, and then focus on what the desire that they're um, wondering about and see if their body feels more expansive or if it's if it's more of a contraction. And Well, I think that, you know, anything that you are aligned with will work. Uh, I would... Um, I would caution our listeners um, around some of the languaging that we may be using with respect to uh, defining the experience, because even the idea of good or healthy, that can actually be a program that's mm-hmm. running in our holograms. And uh, and and what what tends to happen is, you know, if we feel an experience that might be constriction, we will automatically assume something isn't good for us, whereas you know, sometimes a certain amount of constriction or compression is absolutely necessary for manifestation to occur. And so it would be, it would be a limitation to dismiss that as not useful because we've set up limiting parameters. And so what I would say is, is follow along with what you suggested, but don't necessarily place, um, parameters on what you're supposed to feel if something is a true authentic desire. Um, be more open 
uh, because that is what's going to enable you to override the programming. Um, sometimes we can experience a true authentic desire and feel really excited at the same time that the, um, the fears will come in. Um, you know, if we dovetail back to what I was talking about, you know, wanting to leave the pharmaceutical industry, uh, you know, I knew that there was something waiting for me. I had no idea what it was and I was terrified. So here I was having this true authentic desire and I also had a lot of fear. And if I had let the fear as constriction be my cue that my true authentic desire wasn't valid, I might have missed it. Good point. Good point. And Thank you. And, and we're capable of, of um, having a multitude of experiences simultaneously. And so if we, if we honor all of them, and here's where it can be really helpful. Perhaps lay down or sit down or stand up because um, it doesn't matter and, um, and, and say, if I were to notice, track, sense, or perceive a true authentic desire, how might that show up for me now? Because that's a very open, expansive way of giving your beingness the opportunity to guide you and show you. Mm. Would you repeat that? If I were to know... If, uh, yeah, what did I say? If I, <laughs> if, I were to, if I were to notice, track, sense, or perceive a true authentic desire, how might that show up for me now? Mm, love it. That's very, very liberating. And here's the thing. Simply because a true authentic desire may have a signature of joy or it may feel expansive or it may feel like there's a knowing without knowing how we know in one moment, in the very next moment, a true authentic desire can show up a completely different way. And as long as we don't limit how we define the way it needs to show up, then we are free to experience true authentic desires in a myriad of ways. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm glad I brought that up because that really expanded, I, I think, for people, the, uh, the scope of what a true authentic desire can project as. Awesome. And, and I will just say to everyone, a key with true authentic desire is trust. Trust mm. what's occurring for you, no matter what it is, no matter what, because trust is connection and connection is resonance and connection, resonance and trust is everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, what about the value or the, uh, it's not the word I want, but the, the role of synchronicity in all of this? Synchronicity has um, a huge role and a lot of value. I'll use both your words that you didn't like <laughs> uh, because synchronicity is the, it's the language of an interconnected universe and, mm. and everything is connection and everything is interconnected, even if it appears to be separate and differentiated and individuated. And so uh, recognizing synchronicities as they are occurring in our life is a beautiful way to embrace that language of interconnection and embrace the recognition that um, you're on a path of alignment. And I don't say the path because there are many, many paths. Uh, a, a, another core aspect of the teachings of Amjoy is, is not creating synchronicity, but recognizing synchronicities as they are occurring because mm -hmm. they are happening 24 seven. Mm -hmm. um, and the more we notice them as Carl Jung astutely uh, noted when he coined the term synchronicity, the more excited we get about synchronicity, the more likely synchronicity is to occur. Yes. Now 
I'm not so sure that it's that it's more likely to occur. I think it's just that it's more likely that we notice it as it's occurring because it's happening all the time. Uh, reality is really more virtual. It's more symbolic. And the symbolic nature of reality is occurring through synchronicity, which is the connection of uh, patterned information as potentials. And it can be as simple as um, you know, I do this all the time, getting excited about uh, alignments and clock time. I was literally teaching, <laughs> literally teaching this last week on, a, on the Amjoy Caribbean cruise, and I was teaching field 111, which is uh, synchronicity and alignments of synchronicity as flow. And I said, one of the ways that I love to notice synchronicity as it's occurring is by virtue of the clock time. And I picked up my iPhone and lo and behold, it was 1010. And you couldn't have planned that. Um, you know, in the book, Little Book of Big Potentials, if you open to page 111, it is field 111 synchronicity, not even the most uh, highly attuned editor could have planned for <laughs> field 111 to fall on page 111. And, you know, synchronicity is happening all of the time. The question becomes, will you notice it? And will right. you celebrate its occurrences such that it becomes just the natural way of being. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's funny because once again, you have discussed something that I was going to ask you about. Um, ever since I read uh, some of David Wilcox's work uh, years ago, the the whole number thing has, uh, you know, one one one, eleven eleven, twelve twelve, two two two, whatever. It's it's constant, and it kind of ebbed for me for a while, and then in the last month, it's. I mean constant. Like I just looked at uh, the time on my computer that uh, we've been recording and it was 5522. And um, I was just saying to Stephen this morning, I'm getting lots of 222, 444, 555, a lot of numbers that I never used to see. Um, uh, and I'm not sure what's going on. Maybe that means that I am more in alignment with well, who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not sure, but boy. I would say that's perhaps part of the equation and absolutely embrace that if it occurs to you and get curious because these numbers are access points as well. And so, you know, if a 5522 shows up, well, that's a akin to an opening into an, and it's an access point for your multidimensional awareness. So get curious about it as a placeholder. And, um, and, and realize too, there's gematrias with numbers, like the numbers are placeholders, they hold a place in relation to themselves. And so uh, there, there are entire grids of consciousnesses within those synchronistic moments of uh, just aligned clock time, so to speak, they're, mm -hmm. they're huge portals of opportunity, if we choose to step into them. Right. So how um, do you... Uh do you assign different meanings to different numbers or? I, I really don't because I think that meaning is, um, meaning is best relegated to the meaning maker. So if I, <laughs> as Melissa assign meanings to say, uh, five, five, two, two occurring on your computer, well, I've just defined an experience for you. And that's a tremendous disservice. Mm. Um, I would rather say to, uh, other heart-centered individuals, to students, to clients, to anyone and everyone, um, you're the meaning maker. You get to choose what a synchronistic moment may represent for you and realize that whatever meaning you assign to it in one moment 
may evolve and transform into something different in the very next moment. So don't hinge on the meaning uh, as being the eternal meaning. It may only be the meaning that the meaning maker makes in the moment because it's useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's many, many layers in our hologram relative to meaning. Uh, One layer of that meaning could be useful in one situation. And if you go deeper, there's a different meaning that could pertain to another situation. Right. Got it. Hmm. One of the, one of the things that I've read, and it might have been from David Wilcock too, was to notice what you're thinking or doing at the moment when you see the numbers. And I've tried, but I've tried that. And most of the time, there's not really anything <laughs> of any meaning. So, well, so try, so to parlay off of, um, you know, cause I, I like to support whatever anyone else says as a springboard. Um, so what if you were to expand that into what you weren't noticing and what you weren't thinking in the moment, because that's hmm. what I think the synchronistic, uh, placeholders represent. They're there to get your attention, not more attention on what you're already noticing, but what you've yet to notice. Oh, how interesting. Very and- nice. From that standpoint, it becomes a huge opening and an opportunity and a portal of possibility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely will roll that one around in my head. <laughs> and then roll it back to me and be like, oh my gosh, I had the greatest experience with 5522. <laughs> okay, great. And interestingly enough, it's currently 101, which is the yes. field of heart-centered awareness, which <laughs> is really the connection of the one is all with the zero or zero point field of infinite consciousness potential and the one as you and me as individuals in the shared we experience. So it's a, it's a perfect alignment right now to, uh, to return to the field of the heart and to remember that um, everything is interconnected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you, Oh, whoops. I think I, I think I'm having a senior moment because I had a question go through my mind and now it's, uh, what I call a senior moment anyway. Uh, I had a question go through my mind and then I lost it. It had to do with, uh, let's see, it had to do with recognizing true authentic power as opposed to quote unquote power. How would you differentiate well, I, um, I, I make these, the differentiation, um, pretty clear in little book of big potentials as well as in the, the MJOY teachings. But, but in a nutshell, um, I define true authentic power as an inner power and an inner stance and dance of grace that recognizes that true authentic power is, is the recognition that there's nothing to power over. Everything is interconnected, therefore everything is available, and we simply need to align our awareness and choose where we want to resonate. Conversely, what I refer to as surrogate power is mm. um, is akin to what you were talking about as power, and that is a power of force where uh, there are signatures of manipulation, there are signatures of exerting one's will over another will or a group's will or an organizational's will. And so true authentic power is really um, an inner volition of heart-centered awareness. And it is, it is a, a power of finesse that recognizes that um, everything is available and therefore one does not need to force their will onto anything, um, one can simply choose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. I think that's a great, a great uh, distinction. Um, 
Earlier, we were talking about being and doing. And um, may I assume that action, do you uh, consider action as a, a, a word that would support doing? Action is um, is the power of choice. Ah, and, okay. And so action is absolutely necessary, you know, as, as conscious creators, as um as conduits for creative intelligence, action is absolutely necessary. Uh, I'm, I'm not a big fan of uh, just telling people to embody a space of being and then sit on the couch and wonder why their life doesn't change. Uh, you know, we, we can hold a state of being and make congruent choices that are aligned with that state of being and take action from a state of being through the power of choice that is doing from a space of being and absolutely choice and action is necessary. But when we're taking action, um, just from a doing standpoint, then that action will be compartmentalized. It will be segregated. Um, it will, it will actually have, um, finite parameters that can express and, um, it will, it will not have the same power packed potential that taking action from a space of being could bring forth. Mm -hmm. So how do fluid boundaries support action in your work? Well, fluid boundaries are a whole nother teaching of Amjoy. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I, I, um, I can unpack, I can unpack, you know, two days of seminars in, in, uh, in a one hour <laughs> webinar, uh, or I could encourage our readers to pick up a copy of the book, Little Book of Big Potentials, or uh, there's also articles on my website at www.mjoyheartfield.com. Fluid Boundaries is a, um, an Mjoy teaching that has evolved from the, the kind of the new age, uh, oh, we're all one. And, mm. uh, so we're all one. And then how do we really honor our own unique individuality and what's right, true and correct for us? How do we reconcile that with this knowingness that we're all interconnected? And what has been really, really effective um, for me and has been effective for my clients is employing what I refer to as fluid boundaries, which are boundaries that are free flowing. We don't necessarily define them in advance. We don't necessarily determine in advance how we're going to show up in response to so-called perceived boundary violators. If we have fixed boundaries and we encounter situations and circumstances where we've dubbed boundaries to be necessary, those fixed boundaries will actually educate boundary violators to become smarter. Hmm. They will find ways to circumnavigate. It's like a rubber band effect. And so rather than having fixed boundaries, if we have free flowing boundaries, kind of like bamboo, which is really, really resilient mm -hmm. uh, and can weather any storm and is strong and sturdy, but can actually kind of flow with the uh, torrential circumstances that may be surrounding it. Fluid boundaries enable us to flexibly and freely navigate and respond to what appears to be happening in our life and our situation and our circumstances at work, at home, um, without necessarily entraining boundary violators to violate our boundaries. So it's a really, it's, it's what I refer to as a holofractal game changer. It can literally change up um, relationships, change up situations and circumstances. And it's a really easy concept um, for students to grasp. And it's something that we um, play with quite a bit in the live experiential seminars. Mm -hmm. 
So what is coming to me is uh, instead of responding um, to something that's coming at you as a, like a wall, uh, to be more flexible, to, to use flexibility and flow as opposed to creating a, uh, uh, you know, a, what's the word? But, you know, like the, a, a wall that's not, not going to budge. Yes, instead of being a brick wall in order to protect yourself from whatever it is that you want to avoid, you you become almost um, fluid like liquid light and you're able to respond accordingly uh, in the moment to what appears to be happening. There is an aspect of a flexibility of consciousness. There's much more to it, um, which I can't necessarily unpack in the time frame of this, uh, of this recording, but um, absolutely um, fluid boundaries bring forth a flexibility of consciousness and the physics within fluid boundaries um, enable us to maintain our state and our true authentic power, no matter what appears to be happening around us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the this whole idea is really important. Now, which book of yours do you talk about fluid boundaries? Fluid boundaries and everything that I've been referencing throughout this uh uh, Telesummit or the summit is uh, available in Little Book of Big Potentials. There is also a complimentary play guide called Practical Play, The Heart-Centered Way. Both of those books are available in print, Kindle, as well as audiobook, uh, lovingly narrated by the author. So um, if you like what you're hearing, many have said that the audiobooks on Audible and Kindle um, really allow for the information to to permeate and drop into uh, your biofield and into your cellular structure. So it's a great way to experience the fields and the concepts and the access points that I've been referring to throughout this interview. Mm. Well, I think I'm going to uh, uh, download the audiobooks then because I really, I, since I live out in the boonies now, I do a lot of driving and I like to listen to podcasts and audiobooks. Well, wonderful. I think you'll really enjoy uh, the audio downloads. And um, it's a great way to immerse yourself in, uh, in some of the depths of the concepts that I've referenced uh, during our time together today. And I very much appreciate the opportunity to be in this conversation. It's one of my favorite conversations ever. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. And I hope that we can do this again and continue. I, there's, there's so much more that we could talk about, but I really think that, uh, in the, what do we have here? Hour and 10 minutes that we've been talking. Uh, I think our listeners will have a lot of takeaways, a lot to think about and, um, a lot of information to help just help them navigate through the challenges in their life. Beautiful. And if uh, if any of this information has resonated with our listeners, I would invite you to come out to a, a live experiential seminar. Um, I do teach the Enjoy seminars at least once a month somewhere around the world and uh, would love to meet you in person and have the opportunity to uh, deepen and expand your experience of um, self-love as authenticity. Um, there's no greater joy than experiencing that and witnessing it uh, in uh, in other people. So come on out to a live experiential seminar. Well, I, for one, have, at least through Matrix Energetics, have experienced you as a, a facilitator and leader and teacher, and you're awesome. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity to uh, to share on your on your broadcast. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks so much, Melissa. Take care. Thank you. As you can tell, Melissa Joy is very passionate about inspiring everyone to realize their true, authentic self. 
with practical, creative, and powerful wisdom. To learn more about MJoy, please visit mjoyheartfield.com. Links to our website will also be posted at the podcast website, realjanine.com. The Keeping It Real with Janine podcast is produced every two weeks for your enjoyment. Mine too. (laughs) Show notes and links to guests can be found on the podcast website, realjanine.com. Come back often and please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or your favorite RSS feed. You can now leave comments at the podcast website and subscribe to our newsletter to receive notices of new podcast episodes and blog posts. Take care. 